Welcome along to the New Zealand Digital Podcast. I'm Paul Spain, and this is episode number two, where we feature the Social Media Club Auckland's most recent event, their first uh, event for 2013. Uh, on this episode, we, uh, we've basically packaged up uh, the audio from uh, that event held, uh, held in Auckland recently, uh, featured uh, Vaughan Davis of the Goat Farm. Uh, we've got Tom Bates from Contagion, uh, Deborah Peed, founder at Peed PR, uh, Hazel Phillips, who's editor at Idealog, and David Fisher from the New Zealand Herald. So uh, let's jump straight into uh, let's jump straight into this episode. Um, welcome to the first Social Media Club event of 2013. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, my name is Vaughan. I'm one of the the people who've been sort of setting this up, and I'll talk more about that team in a minute. Uh, and I'm your MC for tonight. I'd like to first uh, thank the team that worked really hard last year. Who's, who was it? Uh, who came to an event last year? Okay, so there are so more about only about half. So about half of you are new to it. You have no expectations. That's cool. Um, I'd like to especially thank last year's team, uh, particularly Julian, who's over there with the uh, probably the best male haircut in the room. I think. <laughs> It might, 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 might be a tie between that and our, uh, our first speaker, but we we'll, might, might put that to an audience vote. Um, and Justin Flitter, who's not here tonight, but worked really, really hard last year to put all those events together, so thank you very much. I'd like to thank this year's team, um, variously numbering between about 20 and about 5, um, depending on the day. Uh, particularly behind this event, uh, Julian, Adrian and uh, Julie. Julie will be with us later, but also a much wider bunch, especially the team from Vodafone. Um, Tweeting, of course, is welcome. Do not turn off those phones. Indeed, if your phone is turned off, turn it back on. And enjoy those, those, uh, those wonderful, wonderful fortified bars of Vodafone 3G and possibly 4G coverage we're enjoying in the room tonight. The hashtag? Who doesn't know what a hashtag is? You wouldn't admit that, would you? Uh, SMC AKL, and I'd love your comments and questions on that hashtag because they will—they'll uh, do two things: they'll piss everyone off who isn't here, and they'll—they'll they'll say snarky things about you know what is that hashtag and why aren't we there? Uh, and they will help us in the panel discussion to grab comments and questions and include those in there. And finally, they will uh, put you in the draw for some very cool prizes. I wonder if you can guess what they are. I'd like to invite Jerry Ellis from Vodafone, GM of Digital, to uh, say a few words, and then we'll kick off. I'm the short person here, so it's going to, I'm going to have to just change it slightly. So um, thank you all, thank you everyone, and welcome to Venue. Um, my team, the social media team, only started February last year and they started participating in the social media club events. They came back with great feedback and uh, when the opportunity came up to actually be able to support the club um, more than just simply attend and we jumped at the opportunity. So thanks, Vaughan, uh, and the rest of the team. Um, We've been on an interesting journey ourselves. I'm not going to go on too much. I'm mainly going to do housekeeping. But I just wanted to share with you is that um, Vodafone New Zealand was quite a late adopter of social media, I would say. We dabbled in it for about two years. The marketing team were just posting lots of competitions and sponsorship information. And the PR team were pushing out press releases. And the tech guys were working in the forum. And it was all, everyone was doing a bit of their own. There was no clear strategy. So around about sort of February time last year, um, what I noticed post-Christmas is that what always happens post-Christmas is people have connection issues, they've just taken out their handset and they have problems, they don't know how to set it up. And there was a whole load of conversations going on and we weren't participating in any of them. So um, not being present is actually not a very good thing. I pitched the idea that to build a social media strategy you require a good commercial model to get the exec to support you. Uh, let me have a chance, give me some people. We kind of ran a trial, literally made a decision on Friday, on Monday, took two of our best social media advisors off the floor and said, right, let's get set up. We had no engagement tool, nothing. And within six months, we had turned around and we've tripled the number of posts, the number of engagements. Um, there is a very, very clear commercial benefit from us in being able to drive call reduction. But philosophically, where I'm coming from is, is, is very much closer to my values, which is around integrity and trust. 
in this day and age, we have lost the connection with our customers, especially as corporate organizations, smaller companies not so. You know, it's not the day when you can go and talk at a market, at a store to your customers and get direct feedback. In fact, actually get ideas for innovation. Um, that connection is lost, whether it's through your marketing agencies doing the campaigns, your distributors selling your products, whatever it is. We need to build that intimacy up with our customers. And yes, it is in the public profile, so you do need to put your best people on there uh, uh, to actually engage with your customers. And we've had some fantastic results. So very, very passionate around um, continuously driving uh, social media and actually sharing with you and learning from you some of the experiences that you're having yourself. So that, that's just a, a quick brief history of, of uh, where Vodafone New Zealand is in terms of social media, totally committed and uh, going to be driving a lot more in, in that space to be able to engage and connect with our customers as you are. A um, couple of housekeeping rules. If anybody needs to use the facilities, they are between the lifts. We are a secure building, so once we've kept the doors open without, without one of these passes, so you can go to the restrooms and come back, um, you can't leave the building and then come back in again. So uh, from that point of view, in case of a fire, just go into the centre area there and uh, hopefully we'll get a nice fire truck turning up. <laughs> um, final point I just wanted to make is we're really proud to have just recently launched the 4G network in parts of Auckland. We will have... Uh, a lot more coverage by the end of the year. What I thought was a good idea, and I'm not going to do a sales pitch here, but what often people don't get to see is the 4G handsets that come out that actually uh, that aren't available yet in retail. So we had them up this afternoon, so I said, I'll leave them up there. So if you want to have a look, have a play, uh, see what's coming. Smartphones, uh, the next generation of smartphones are even more critical to the way we as businesses connect on social media with our customers. So one of the stats that I found the most interesting last year was that 60% of people use Facebook on their smartphone at least once an hour. So if we think about how we communicate and how we connect in Facebook, you might be putting it in your engagement console and you might be looking at it on your PC, but your customers and your friends are actually looking at uh, the, the conversation from a smartphone and obviously that's only going to grow. I think as, a, as New Zealand now has about 40% penetration on smartphones, it's probably only going to grow even more than that. So thank you very much. I'm not going to uh, interfere with the agenda anymore. And uh, welcome to Venue if you've got any questions. And in fact, actually, there's, there's my computer address. Feel free to ask any questions. I'm happy to share any of the experiences we've had. Um, and equally... Unfortunately not. Uh, we didn't have enough time to get that set up today. Um, and I'll explain why. We, we, uh, had a, we had a staff conference across eight locations from this room. So the technical setup had to be reconfigured for that. Well, but we will going forward. And, and so. as I said, the Vodafone reception in this building is magnificent. <laughs> and you've exposed yourself as the wrong kind of customer by asking that question. <laughs> I, sh I should also say that Vodafone's commitment to Social Media Club is not just tonight, it's for every uh, month this year, so magnificent uh, support from them, thank you very much. Our second sponsor I'd like to mention, did anyone get here in time to drink the Penfold Grange 1991? <laughs> no, okay. Um, Treasury Wine Estates, uh, the world's largest listed wine company, I didn't know that, with over 80 brands including Matua, Wolfblast, Penfolds, Shingle Peak and here in New Zealand distributes leading beers including Peroni, Grolsch and Moa. So thank you Treasury Wine Estates. Um, the pizza, and I hope everyone got some, is courtesy of Contiki, uh, the original adventure travel company for 18 to 35s and I'd like to ask Tony Lasky to uh, share some of the stuff that they're doing over at Contiki. Thanks Tony. Right, thanks Vaughan. I have actually got some notes here because there's a bit to get through and I've got three minutes to do it. First of all, I want to introduce the team. Uh, Chelsea Aston-Ross over here. Stand up, Chelsea. It's our marketing executive, Gordon Gillen, PR guru. And I've got two other guests down the front who I'll introduce shortly. Um, so, Kentucky's almost a household name in New Zealand. It was started by a Kiwi 50 years ago. And um, one of the, the things that we... Uh, one of the challenges we have is uh, there's stereotypes and, and perceptions of the brand. 
And over the last five years, the product has evolved significantly. We've added loads of new product. This perception is that we do coach tours around Europe, when in fact now a lot of our product actually doesn't involve a coach at all. It's flying and boats and all that sort of thing. So with all this new product, we want to tell that story to the New Zealand public, specifically to 18 to 35-year-olds, which is why we sponsored tonight. This is a, there's a hidden agenda to it, which I'll reveal later. But if I could just get uh, Shannon Ryan and Justin Greenwood to stand up now. As part of this, we've been sort of talking with Shannon for a while, and you'll know her from the Vodafone Music Awards, 4 Live, The Block, and, um, and Justin is a dab hand on the camera, so he's going to be taking video footage and stills along the way, and we're going to send them next month to the Galapagos Islands, which is one of our new destinations. Um, we've been operating there for um, almost a year now. And uh, so we want to tell the story of what we do in these kind of destinations and, and the kind of product that Katiki has. Um, so rather than standing up here tonight and kind of telling you stories of how great we are at social media at Kentucky, you know, we've got this global team and we've done things like the road trip, which was with YouTubers last year, and we've done um, This Way to Amazing, which was another campaign using Google Street View, all that kind of stuff. We're not going to mention that. Um, but what we're going to do is actually throw out there a crowdsourcing challenge to you. And uh, the, the Twitter handle at KentuckyNZ, um, you can direct message us on that. Or alternatively, if it's more than 140 characters, you want to go old school, um, send us an email. Kentucky at Kentucky, that's Kentucky with a C, .co.nz. So with all this video footage that Justin and Shannon are going to shoot and produce while they're there, we want to get it out to every 18 to 35-year-old here in New Zealand. So with Shannon's contacts, we've got uh, great broadcast distribution. We've also got some social media um, activity that will be happening. And also through our own platforms, we'll be getting the message out. But what we would love is for all of you to be out there spreading the word as well. So um, we're, we're open to ideas. Send us your ideas. Like I say, DM to AtKentuckyNZ of how to reach every 18 to 35-year-old New Zealand. Or send us an email and uh, we'd love your input. You'll be in at the ground level um, of this exciting project that will be happening next month on the 20th of April. They'll be flying out to the Galapagos Islands. Thank you. Okay, moving on. We are, we are. You can tell from the three stores up here that there will be a panel. Uh, but before that, uh, one of the new features we want to introduce into this year's um, social media format is called Shiny New Thing. And I'm very <coughs> next to a goat, but I'm, I'm a goat fan. Some of you know that. And that that's quite a new goat. Um, shiny New Thing, in which a speaker spends ten minutes. Ten minutes. How many minutes? Ten. Ten. Um, speaking about something new and cool they've either seen or made. Our first ever shiny new thing presenter is Tom Bates. Tom is partner and social influence director at Auckland digital agency Contagion. They're just up the road. Tom recently travelled to Texas to attend the enormous festival of interactivity, film, music and debauchery known as South by Southwest. Tom. So Vaughan has, uh, as he said, I've only got 10 minutes. It's going to be very difficult uh, to fit all 10 and a, nine and a half shit. All right. Okay, so South by Southwest. Uh, for those of you that don't know, as Vaughan said, it is an interactive music and film festival in Austin, Texas. Uh, Austin, as you can imagine, is a pretty crazy place, although uh, it's not as probably a redneck and right-wing as you'd think in most of Texas. It's quite a liberal and the only democratic uh, voting state in Texas. So it's quite a liberal place, lots of music, lots of university students, and a lot of fun. So who goes to South by Southwest? Uh, it used to be all about music and film, but in the last four years it's basically turned very much to being a focus on interactive. So there were 40,000 people there for that week that I was there, just basically geeks like me, getting really inspired, uh, meeting other people and going to see very interesting keynote speakers. Uh, <clears throat> example of this, brands like Spotify uh, were activating there, so they're a real fusion of what the conference is about, about music, about technology coming together around uh, great ideas and disrupting the way that everyone does business. 
Uh, the types of people that were there, so agencies, obviously like myself, there were brands, so meeting people from the likes of Nike and HBO, uh, startups, so that's where Twitter was launched a few years ago, many startups going there to try and launch and uh, get uh, networking and meeting the right people and meet venture capitalists, people flying on their jet planes ready to invest in the next big thing. Uh, the next thing that was really interesting was that lots of journalists there uh, trying to cover these stories. Uh, the big boys as well, the Googles, the Facebooks of this world, uh, were actually there as well, activating, speaking, really uh, being part of the whole week that was. Uh, so who were the speakers? So the speakers from the likes of Al Gore and Bill Gates, really big thinkers, people that have kind of revolutionised the way that everyone acts. Um, this is really interesting. I went and saw Al Gore speak about the future, which was really interesting. Even got a signature, uh, you know, and met and shook his hand. I wasn't allowed photos. Uh, but that was really interesting too. Um, you can get right down to really pragmatic as well. So the developers, and there were lots of user experience people and data people and social media people from all over the world. So there was something for everyone. If you wanted to be inspired about the future, if you wanted to learn about user experience, if you wanted to learn about digital this was the place to be for that week. So what was it like? So basically there was a shitload of innovative technology. So this is a drone from the new Tom Cruise uh, film Oblivion, uh, which was flying around, which was pretty crazy to see that. There was also people behind this innovation sharing their stories. So this woman, uh, Feng, uh, Ping Fu, was really innovative. And that on the guy's chest, I don't know if you can quite see it because that's my Instagram photo, pixelated, is a 3D printer. So. I don't know if you know much about 3D printing, but it's really going to revolutionise the way that manufacturing happens over the next few years. There are also brands activating like crazy. That's me on a Game of Thrones chair. For those of you that are Game of Thrones fans like myself, that was a pretty uh, awesome moment there. And a lot of brands are there activating because the most influential people across uh, many industries are there with big social media uh, followings. There were also people like Sean Parker here, and Sean was here talking about digital disruption and also the fact that he was, sorry, he was the Napster founder uh, back you know, all those years ago, and he was there talking about his new film that was being released called Downloaded. Sean's obviously also an early investor in Facebook and in Spotify, and really interesting hearing these people talk about game-changing technologies firsthand. There was also people like Shaq there for a bit of entertainment. He was talking about how he thinks he's made more money out of investing in startups like Google than he did out of his basketball career. And there were geeks like me, dreaming about the possibilities of the future. So it was a really interesting time. So basically I wanted to touch on some of the key things that came out of South by Southwest that are more relevant to what we in this room do. And hopefully they give you a bit of an insight into the kind of learnings that were going on. So big data, obviously this isn't a new craze, but it was really interesting for me actually getting to understand a little bit more about it. So how many people in this room have heard about big data? A lot of people, yeah, a few people. So basically, big data is, uh, data in itself, I guess, is there's so much being captured now, more today, uh, every day, than there was you know, in years, about 10 years ago. And all this data is actually becoming so powerful it's giving us the opportunity as potential brands to actually know everything about people. So, privacy implications uh, kind of uh, haven't even been reached when we start to think, talk about things like biometrics. And that's basically, if you can imagine, you know, the future sci-fi movies that have a chip in people's hand that basically goes around and measures everything they're doing and can be reported to the government. Your mobile can basically do that already if you capture that data. So you overlay your location, your social networking, what you're eating, all these sorts of things. So it's crazy to know that this data is only got richer and richer and the implications of that and who owns that data was actually fascinating to hear these people talk about. Um, recommendation engines. So for those of you that use things like Amazon or Spotify or potentially other uh, social networks such as Facebook, Recommendation engines are really interesting from a marketer's perspective because it helps people make decisions faster. So if you're on Amazon and you're seeing what your friends have bought or you're, uh, you've seen what other people like you have bought, you're more likely to spend more. This is really interesting because the startup companies such as Amazon, Spotify and Facebook have been the only companies that have been able to invest in this technology and it's been their liberty 
basically over the next few years, this technology or this innovation is going to come available to everyone else. This is really interesting for me from an e-commerce perspective and a content perspective to know that people can actually start making decisions uh, and purchase things in different ways. Um, so that was interesting, although a little bit geeky by the looks of your faces. Um, big data for consumers. So I think Vaughan mentioned to me that uh, he went to South by Southwest last year and they launched the Nike Fuel Band. So you've probably seen this, and I think this is a bit of a fad in terms of this product. The thing that really was interesting to me around uh, big data for consumers is that if you're actively involved in your own data, whether it's your health or anything, you actually want to control the outcome of it. So when I saw someone speak uh, from Stanford to talk about if you've got access to all your health data on your phone, so you know when you're dehydrated, you know when you're actually uh, tired, you actually affect your health and change the way you behave. And that's quite interesting, knowing that all this health data has actually been stored by uh, medical or hospitals for a long time. And that's going to soon become available to us in our phone <coughs> or potentially our chip in our hand. Um, the Internet of Things, who's heard about this? So this is basically going from people uh, connecting with other people to people connecting with brands to everything connecting with everything, which is pretty crazy. So this is a product that's just recently launched sit in a room and it knows when you come in because of your smartphone, it knows what temperature you like, it knows what song you like and basically it's everything that's got a chip or a data in it making your environment better. And this is just one example. Nissan uh, just launched a car that connects with your smartphone and is actually doing the same thing for your automobile. Um, Google Glass, love him or hate him, it's kind of interesting. Um, I saw a few people walking around, but they wouldn't let you take photos of them. They definitely wouldn't let you try them on. But the thing here is uh, everything is going to become a screen soon. The cost of a screen is going to come so low that they'll be able to have screens in a lot of places. Um, Mashable.com, I imagine a lot of you read that site. I saw a keynote when they told how many, pe how many different devices people had actually accessed uh, Mashable from. Can anyone have a guess into how many different devices... So, not necessarily the total number, but different types. 10,000. 10, it was actually 2,800, so give or take. And that's this year. Each year they think that number's going to grow exponentially. So you're going to have screens on your car, potentially on your table, pretty much everywhere. So what that means for us in this room, and rather than designing for a website and a mobile, you're going to have to design user experience for your digital uh, that can actually go across almost anything. is very responsive and modular. The last thing here is what we call native advertising. So for those in this room that have done Facebook advertising or promoted tweets, this is going to be the next uh, big thing, but it's going to come out of these platforms and start to be something much more, uh, I guess, bigger than this at the moment. So it's basically, because we trust other people like ourselves um, and our friends, we actually want to see content from those people. Native advertising will then start moving outside of Facebook, outside of Twitter, into all walks of life. So when you see uh, a Facebook promoted story or a promoted post versus a Twitter advertising promoted story, um, you're more likely to actually engage with that because Vaughan or one of my friends has recommended that. Uh, this is basically going to, I guess, revolutionise our content industry uh, and to start taking this thing way outside of those social networks. I think I've just stayed within 10 minutes. But if you've got any questions, as you said, at Tommy Bate. So there we go. Thank you. The, the only thing that stuck in my head there was when he said Grab a little um, you might get recommended something from Vaughan or one of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Tom! <laughs> Okay. Uh, thank you very much, that's great. Um, panelists, take your seats. You're the one that started the hashtag. How about a bit of advance? Okay. One moment, caller. Off. I'll turn it off and I'll turn it back on again. Oh, yeah. That's it. Okay. The panel, what you're all here for? The panel. Um, social media endorsements. Uh, as part of a PR campaign are not new and are not limited to my food bag. Um, Metro Magazine reports this month that Glassons will be paying bloggers 
who use the, Glass- the Glassons hashtag. I don't know how that works, how you use a hashtag on a blog, but uh, if you know Glassons, hit them up. They've got a bag full of money. Uh, <laughs> the promoters of the Auckland's uh, the Auckland Art Festival were just as blunt, uh, inviting tweeters to a theatre premiere free of charge with this headline, although it was pointed out to me just before the event that this was the headline used even to people who are paying for their tickets. And I'm sure a few of us in the room realised that we were actually really, really rabid fans of Jersey Boys, Mary Poppins, Wicked, the Royal New Zealand Ballet or Coronation Street on stage until the envelope with the free tickets arrived. For the next 30 minutes, we'll be discussing the way PR companies use social media. The second half, more or less, will be open mic, so please have a think now about questions you would like to ask the panellists, and we'll also be taking questions from the, uh, the wider audience via the SMCAKL hashtag. Introducing the panel from, from the middle, because that's how it is on my page, Deborah Peed is one of New Zealand's leading public relations practitioners and her agency PPR dominates particularly the consumer PR space with clients such as Kellogg's, L'Oreal, Microsoft, Samsung and lately My Food Bag. Nice product placement. <laughs> I'm guessing this is something to do with you. I'm not just a wild random guess. It's just... I'm actually going to lift it on the table in a minute so everyone <laughs> can get a good look. <laughs> Um, Deborah's deviousness knows no bounds and extends to 15 years ago taking a job leading the PR team within Bates Advertising just so she could befriend me and one day leverage that friendship to help her clients sell groceries. (laughs) Hazel Phillips, by day, is editor of perennial New Zealand business magazine of the year, Ideologue. By night, she's an enthusiastic diver and tramper, and her passion for busting out her wet-look leggings in backcountry huts may well have influenced the government's recent decision to cut funding to the Department of Conservation. (laughs) Hazel recently blogged that a fluffy kitten dies every time bad PR happens, or something along those lines, but believes no kittens were harmed in the My Food Bag campaign. David Fisher, on your right, has been a journalist for 24 years with a career stretching from provincial New Zealand community newspapers to red-top tabloids in London and then about a decade ago all the way back home again. He currently works for the NZ Herald as an investigative reporter. David is not a supporter of journalists receiving freebies and may in fact have made a point tonight of parking before 6pm just so he could feed the meter and park with a clear conscience. I'd like you to welcome our three panellists. Start off with a question for you, Deborah, and this is this is a pretty straightforward question. What did you do, and why did you do it? All right, Bob. Would you mind lifting that bag up to the table so everyone can I'm have a good look? I'm not your Patsy. Good job, Pop. How are you? Right, that would be perfect. Right. So, um, for those of you who haven't heard of my food bag, the backstory. It's a terrific new initiative. It combines the business nous of Teresa Gatting, the entrepreneurial spirit of Cecilia Robinson, who owns Allpay Link, and the food creds of Nadia Lim. Put those three people together, deliver a service that delivers um, meals planning for the week and, um, and all the ingredients to go with it, and you've got an instant success called My Food Bag. Why it works, and this is the elevator pitch, the research tells us that most of us who are responsible for planning the meals for the family night after night recycle about six recipes in our, our entire lives. And most of you that walk into a supermarket and faced with the aisles of food think, what am I going to cook tonight? We'll know that feeling when someone says, here's the food for you, here's the wonderful recipe for you, magic in a bag. Marvellous. If I may ask the question again, Mm. what did you do and why did you do it? Well, I had this, to put this, it time, this time I'm going to have to ask you to answer the question. All right. So um, my fabulous food team are second, sitting in the second row and uh, myself developed a three-phased concept of launching this bag. And we identified people who like to be in the loop early on things. So those are active social media participants as well as short mead media. Um, the second um, phase is your long lead media. And then for phase three, we'd start moving into more traditional paid promotional space. And, um, and right now we're in week two and a half, and um, we're still in the short lead and social media stage of the campaign. Cool. So, so what we did mm-hmm. was we targeted people who we um, felt fitted firmly in the loop 
people who fit the target market of the My Food Bag, so time poor professionals, um, possibly double income, and people who are active in social media and have strong followings on social media. And through the power of our network... You mean lots of followers? Lots of followers, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and people um, who are part of our network who trust us and would respond well to a, an approach from us we approached them, we got them to um, agree to taking my food bag as, and to give us a product review if they were inclined. There was no obligation to do so, and we f- asked them if they wanted to comment on my food bag. The only um, request we made was to embargo the information until my food bag actually launched, and the second thing was to um, use the hashtag if they, were, if they felt like tweeting about it. So, David and Hazel, some of the people who received these bags were not just, you know, um, humble goat farmers like me, but actual journalists. What, from both, each of your perspectives, maybe start with David, are the ethics around receiving something and then, uh, you know, use, using your media channels to, to promote it? Well, I don't see why you would take anything. I don't see any point in taking anything. If you're going to write about it, then you buy it, just like your readers would. And um, if it's important enough for you to give it coverage, it's important enough for you to go out and spend money to to bring that product in and, and, and try it properly. And, and the other thing as well is that it's not just about that one product. Um, uh, I, I um, <laughs> have a great deal of trust in, in Deborah. Um, uh, trust is a commodity. That's, that's what's being traded here. Um, uh, but you can't extend that across everybody that's pimping stuff out to you. Uh, and if you're going to try one product, why wouldn't you try a whole range of them? Why would you just focus on one? Because that happens to be the free one that fetches up in your door. Hazel? I think it's problematic if you <coughs> accept a freebie and... Is that on? Is that, is that on? Yeah. Yes. Okay. If you accept the freebie and you feel obliged to promote that or give it coverage when it would be something that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily write about. That makes sense. So, Deborah, was there an aspect in the way you selected the people that you sent the bags to, not just people with large networks, but people you thought would have a propensity to, A, cooking the things, and, and B, sort of talking about them? I think the, um, the success of the launch of my food bag was particularly because we picked the right people. We're very targeted in who we selected to participate in the product review. And, um, and then if you add to it the pace at which it happened, which was all around dinner time on the Monday night, um, so the speed of the, of the interaction, and the people who um, were picked to participate in the product review, and the fact that they all took to Twitter around about the same time to sing their praises for their product and thanked my food bag, um, that created a Twitter storm. And then we found a whole lot of media jumping in to defend themselves um, when, it, when it, it provoked the curiosity of many, but it also um, raised the consternation of a few. And those few that raised the consternation just really elevated the entire debate, and then it just took off on its own energy. Yeah, so have you, have you looked, a lot of the debate was not so much, well, a lot of the conversation was not so much about the courgettes and salmon, but about the, well, have we had courgettes? I'm not sure. Um, we certainly had lots of salmon, thank you, other PR client. Um, <laughs> have, have, she's very good, isn't she? She's like, yeah. a smile out of her. She's exceptional. The, um, a lot of the conversation was not so much about the food as it was about the media angle of it. Have you done any sort of cuts on that? Do you have a, a yep. gut feeling for the proportions? Yeah, there are sort of five um, groups of people that took to Twitter. So the first group were the food fans and the followers and those who were curious and wanted to know more. The second group were those who um, were um, interested in the ethics and questioned the ethics of the debate that was raised by a few in the media. Um, the third group were those who were from out of town and asking when my food bag would come to their area. Then there was a group, what we call the creatives, the, the novelty people who invented their own food bags and kept us all amused for many hours. And, um, and then there was a group of um, your traditional haters who always call us um, PR wankers from Auckland and, you know, <laughs> and we, we deal with that. Fortunately, we're not easily scared. You have to have a thick skin in PR so they don't really bother us that much. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the, uh, I'm not sure if this is the, the haters or the, I forget what the second group was, um, one of the 
topics of discussion was whether or not people who received the bags... Has anyone, who in the room received a bag? So disclosure here, by the way. Okay. Is it just Oops. me? Just, just us? Cool. Okay, cool. It's just us. How was it, guys? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say. Um, but, but there are some ribs waiting for me at home. Awesome. I would say. Um, a lot of the discussion was around whether or not those tweets should have been disclosed uh, you know, you know, and I was, I was, uh, I, I supported it for two reasons. Firstly, because I liked it, and secondly, because I like Deborah. So that, you know, it's my disclosure. But I did not say in my tweets, "I have received this for free, and therefore I am tweeting it." And, and a bunch of people got a bit cranky about that. Um, how important is disclosure in this process, Hazel? Well, it's quite interesting, one, because you had before a couple of examples of um, situations where people have tweeted and then gotten something for free, right? Before. And I could have sworn this was happening a couple of years ago, maybe back in early 2010 when this guy wrote this book. It was called something like Tweet This Book by Vaughan. <laughs> Can't remember his last Some name. Guy. But it went off. 26,000 downloads and promotional tweets, every single one. And not a single one of them had an ad hashtag. Yeah. yeah, but I've got a comment to that. Um, look, obviously, if it's paid for, it needs to be identified with an ad hashtag. But tweeting is almost a form of thanks now. I mean, we send a lot of product out every day. I mean, if you'd come into our office, it looks like a railway station some days with parcels going out. So there's a lot of tweets out there with people saying, thanks, PPR, thanks, L'Oreal. So a tweet is a form of a hashtag. And a retweet is, in some way, a form of an applause. So a lot of those tweets had, thanks, my food bag. And I don't think there's any obligation on those people to identify it had been given to them as a freebie. David? I, I, I just don't know if there's enough thought about it, really. Um, it, it becomes very casual, this, um, uh, and, and endorsement's not the right word, but um, uh, repetition, because that, that, that has a currency as well. And, and there's value in having that conversation and having this conversation. This, this will go on the client report, I would imagine. We're all part of it. And, and, uh, and if you're going to be a part of that, there's an attention economy. You know, you've got to grab that, that, chunk of the econ- that, that chunk of the economy and it has value in the way that you do it. And the stickability has value as well. And if you're going to become a part of that, you, you've got to make some quite careful decisions about why you're going to be a part of it and how far it's going to go. I mean, there's no criticism in what Deborah's done here. Deborah's done a fantastic job for her client. Um, but... Uh... <laughs> you can like for free. <laughs> I don't take freebies. <laughs> uh, she's done a fantastic job for a client. But what comes after that? You know, it's um, yeah. the, the, the people that have taken it. Yeah. Hazel, I, I see you've got a response to that. Before that, I just wanted to do a quick check because I don't want to be asking all the questions... Who's, who sort of thinks they might have a question? I'm not getting it. You know, if, if, we, if we handed the microphone around now, would there be anyone wanting to take it? Only one? Okay. Wow. Really? Come on, two, maybe? Okay, we'll keep going for a little bit. We hold over the cold. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep going a little bit more, then we'll hand it over, because I've only got these dumb questions I made up. Hazel, you had a well, point. There's obviously, there's this um, guidance note on social media from the ASA uh, that indicates that if you are being paid to promotion, you know, to tweet something promotional, you should have this hashtag ad. And there's been so much made of that. Um, what people also haven't perhaps looked at very carefully is that there's another line in that guidance note that says that the advertiser has to have control. Well, Deborah P doesn't have control over my Twitter feed, I can assure you. Do you? No. No. Um, I'd like to. So, so there is a total of control there, and we're, we've been having quite a discussion about um, journalistic integrity, so I think we should ground this discussion in the firm knowledge that not one person who blogged about this bothered to indulge themselves in the very basic journalistic act of actually calling up the ASA and saying, hey, Hilary Suter, um, what do you think? Well, and I know this because I did this about 10 o'clock this morning. And Hilary said, no one's called me. There's been no complaints. She said, when we actually started up um, the, the guidance note on social media, they had very much firmly paid, here's the cash, situations in mind. In fact, what they had discussed was Wayne Rooney um, tweeting on behalf of Nike in the UK and that had gone through their regulatory body over there. So that's the situation that they had in mind. And she said, in this case, um, there is no advertiser control and it doesn't meet the definition of an ad. But I think that's a very simplistic way of approaching it because I think it's a lot more... No disrespect, men. But oh, it's it's a, you're disrespecting <laughs> Hillary Suter, it's, it's, so. it's, it's a lot more gradual than that um, uh, because... Uh, 
the the exchange that takes place. Uh, Tommy was talking earlier about um, uh, advertising and retweets and the value that that has, and that's based on trust. Um, you're going to buy something if you think I'm trustworthy. Now, if it turns out that that product's no good, um, that trust quotient's going to go down. Now, my food bag, presumably very good product, everybody that got their, and it's hard, their specially prepared, specially hand-delivered my food bags thought that they were great. But you haven't gone down the supermarket or you haven't rung up and done a random blind test and you haven't tried it for two or three or four weeks. So how do you know? And why would you um, risk lowering yourself or take, to, toss, a, toss a coin, raise yourself on that quotient in that way? So, yeah, there is risk in using um, a social media influencer strategy. And the risk is that is that there are no guarantees in PR because it's not a paid-for endorsement. You cannot, and because the guidelines say that we have to guarantee editorial independence, that is, we're not allowed to dictate what is used in those 140 characters, although we can ask them to use a hashtag. Um, so the, the risk is that because there's no guarantees, it could backfire. Fortunately, in this case, it's a fantastic product. So the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, but you also minimize the risk by selecting the right people. And when you've got a good network and you target effectively, you do minimize the risk. And does that selection of the right people then go on a particular list that says media or social media uh, gift gift bags that goes off to be specially prepared and specially delivered by a courier company that's not necessarily your normal delivery channel? Or does it go out in a... No, it, it, go gets part a of the regular, it gets part of the regular delivery channel. So we do not manipulate the media bags in any Mind way. You, it was the launch, so were the, they were the first ones to go out. There weren't any customers at that point. Really. And launches, is, that's an important point. Mm. You know, it's an extra pressure on you at launch time to get it right because yeah. these first group of people that receive it can set the tone and, um, and certainly set the mood. But yeah. David, you can relax because you're not in any of those lists. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess in that respect, it's like, it's like going to opening week at a restaurant. They're going to be trying extra hard and you just know that. I'm going to ask one more question before I really do want you guys to um, throw some stuff in. And this, this is a conversation I was having with Marcus Lush the other day. Uh, an aspect I had not considered. And he, he said uh, some of the people on that list were radio station people. Radio and, personalities. Yeah, radio personalities. And he said, well, okay, so you give um, a radio DJ this food bag. The radio DJ talks about it through Twitter and maybe even on social media. Then what happens when my food bag rings up the radio station and says, I want to run an ad? And the radio station says, well... Um, Sorry, I've got the story completely wrong. The radio, station, the radio station rings up my food bag and said, we want to sell you some ads. And my food bag says, well, we don't need to buy any ads. We've already got your voice through this, through this PR channel. So it was a badly told story, but I think you get the point. To your point about exchange of value, are media personalities giving away some of their brand value and the brand value of their employers, their publishers, their stations by, t by participating freely in this, in this sort of program. That would have to be a very simplistic view of a communications plan, wouldn't it? Would you be happy if you owned a brand and, and that was all you were doing? Was, oh, well, we'll just get this free media and that's it? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, I guess, I guess it, do, it does reduce the likelihood that... That we're going well, to that's what Marmite's been doing. Okay, so I wrote about it, but I doubt that my food bag is ever going to advertise in Ideologue magazine. Yeah. So Marmite's done that for the last two years, though, haven't they? Um, Marmite's been talking about the great Marmite shortage and how terrible it's been and, and, and how much their customer base is gagging for it to come back. And they haven't spent a cent on advertising over that whole time. And <clears throat> even though they've got a customer base that's, that's you would think, kicking in doors to get their jars of Marmite, they've still found time to send them out in beautiful black boxes with gold embossed name tags to select the journos, even in the press gallery. Well, I mean, members of parliament a couple of uh, days tweet, tweet themselves holding the marmite. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's I mean, that's I not a euphemism. I think that it's going to erode our Yeah, well, I guess, that, I, guess that's, right. I guess that's just... Uh, well, not exposes, but hi highlights the, the reason you do PR, I guess, because it complements other things and it gives you more cost efficiencies. Look, I can see what Marcus was trying to get to with that argument. But the point is this. A lot of those products have a story attached to it. And the media like to find their own way to a story. And they like to hear about it first. 
And if those who choose to dig out the story and use the story and retell the story, that's their choice. I mean, media and radio personalities are commenting all day long about the latest movie they've seen or the band that they've seen. I don't think they've compromised themselves or done the channel out of any advertising revenue dollars. That flows through in the third phase of the campaign. We all know that adults learn through storytelling, and that's why this process has been so good. You use PR to lead it. One of the things that underpins the trust thing as well is... Um, why PPR was chosen for this um, because your customers are gold class customers they're all your clients rather they're, they're top of the range you don't, you don't sell bad products you don't sell bad brands um, uh, they're all they're, they're, there's, a, there's an embedded trust there and um, probably one that's going to be uh, the people that receive my food bag are going to be less critical or have, have, have um, a far more uh, willing acceptance that it's got to be good because it comes from you. Well, we hope that that is the understanding. But at the same time, and you know, I have to come back to this, there is no guarantees with PR. There was no expectation. So there was, they did it entirely on their own bat. And if they didn't like it, I would have hoped they'd keep quiet about it. The fact that they loved it and tweeted about it was great for us. And that's where people do take to express the support for something. They use, people who are active in social media space do use Tweet as a channel to support it. I would have had no compunction in saying something bad about the service if there'd been something bad in the food bag. No problem. I wonder what it means, though, if you don't have anything to compare it to. I mean, if there's, if there's another company out there called... But you've eaten food before, right? Yeah, but if there's like another one... <laughs> if there's you another one out there called to... Food in a Bag, and it's really good food, but they don't understand marketing and they don't hire well, PTR... Well, it's interesting that you should say that. How do you know? This is kind of a category growth thing, right? Because I'm vegetarian, and I said that to Deborah before I said yes to the, to the food bag, so half of it didn't even apply to me. But I thought, what a great idea. If they had a vegetarian one, I would totally buy into this. And so I started thinking, well, what else is there out there that could be similar? And I found, I found foodbox.co.nz, and they mm-hmm. will deliver this huge box of vegetables to you every single week and just bill your credit card. Which, which, and you're, you're just happy. You're just like all over it like a fat kid on cake. It's and, and <laughs> fat kid on cake. No, fat kid on cake. Okay. 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 <laughs> So it, grow, it just grows the whole category. But if, if it was going to be covered by media, I'd like them to go out and pay for my food bag and who do has, a blind who test. Has, and who has time to go out and, and investigate five different food delivery services when it's going to be a four-paragraph rent-a-quote story? Let's just get realistic about media. Well, I mean, who, it shouldn't you know, be none full of us, purse. You know, yeah, but none it should of us be have the piece. time for all of this. That's the thing. No. So no, most a... people covering it. Okay. I'll, I'll just jump in. I will point out that uh, one of the things we're trying to do this year is keep the format tight and allow half an hour at the end just to stand around, drink, and ask these guys questions in the flesh. I want to put questions to you guys now. Dylan, I know you had one. I'll, I'll be the mic. I'll be the mic guy. Oh, you'll be the mic guy. I'm mic guy. Give it up for the mic guy. Thank you. Um, I had a simple question. It was, did anyone get the, the food bag, the my food bag? It's very hard to say it in a sentence like that. Did anyone get my food bag and not tweet or Facebook about it? Were there any that were sent out that didn't result in some form of communication? Yes, um, plenty. Uh, the, the most high-profile um, respondents to the product review, there were about 12 who took to Twitter and tweeted the others have used their short lead media columns and some have, have done nothing, and that's perfectly fine. There were no expectations from them. Um, Jerry, you had a question? Who's got another question just so I can plan ahead? Oh, cool, there's lots. Great. Uh, more question, David. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the end of the day, we're talking about innovation. I mean... Yes, food isn't innovative, but the concept was very innovative. Um, it's very hard to go out and buy products to review if they haven't actually been launched. So I agree with your principles around not yeah, being led on to... product reviews. But at the same time, we do value the reviews from journalists and the relationships we have with them. And it's very hard to do that if the product isn't actually accessible. And, and I have quite an idealist view of these things. Unfortunately, the type of work that I do doesn't mean that I need to rely on, I don't know, testing five 4G phones in an afternoon or, or, or whatever it might be. But um, you don't need to eat the food to write about my food bag. 
you know, you can you can write about it anyway. That that there's there is you just a argue that you no. need to go out and try a whole all the services. No, if no, you're going to write about what the food's get like, the experience. This isn't about the food. This is the experience because the proposition here, the USP around this, yep. is around convenience. Yeah, busy but, busy working people, who and that's and that's fine. And just reading a website and reading the ad or the brochure <clears> doesn't actually work. But the only thing I was going to add to that is just the fact that social media does keep journalists honest as well as it keeps mm-hmm. corporate companies honest and everybody else honest and that's what I love about it so in that sense I don't actually think there is so much of a risk for a journalist to ever risk their credibility by uh, basically being subject to journalistic integrity in the social media space Yeah, uh, look, I just think you don't need to eat it to write about it um, Okay, well, David, I disagree. You could probably mock that up in the newsroom. Because you can't review the products, the recipes, the ease of them, how tasty they were, how easy the instructions were to follow, how quick it took you to prepare it. You cannot review that without going through that full experience. No, but, you know, if you're going to do that, you don't need to do that on launch. You just need to write that this new product exists. Oh, that's I, what I, I guess you're, 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 looking, you're thinking of your readers and you're thinking of your clients, I suppose. Is the yeah. thing. Your readers don't need to know about it during launch week, but your clients need the readers to know, and that's, that's the tension. Yeah, and but I've, media I've, I've don't want to, do to read during... about it somewhere else before I approach them. They want to be early on in the loop. That's the whole they thing. Otherwise, it's not news. But people know what salmon tastes like. You know? If I was going to do it in launch week, I'd... I'd um, Find out what's in the bag, break it down, compare it to what you pay for it at the supermarket, see if there's an in-between product, here's the three different types of things. A couple of weeks down the track, depending on what customers are saying about it, you might want to jump in and do a blind test and, and write about what it's like for a And week. some media did that. Kim Knight did a terrific piece on Sunday Star Times this weekend. She did exactly that. Um, Russell Brown went to town on describing the success or otherwise of his recipes. And others just took to Twitter to defend their own moral indignation, the fact yep. that we try to corrupt I think Paul, Paul, I think, um, I think Paul Blomfield has something else for us to disagree on. Uh, oh, oh no, Adrian. Uh, Adrian has something else for us to disagree and on. And this is directly to David. Or the trend is media now. Like, do you know, every night you'll see Patrick Gower jumping on, oh, wow, great story on Three Degrees tomorrow. You must watch that. It's like, no, the story's a load of crap. So what is the integrity of journalists tweeting for their papers when it's not a great story? Uh, that's a brand thing too, you know, um, and uh, I, I think that you get a crossover between um, uh, their brand, their channel's brand and the stories that they're trying to tell on that. Um, I don't have an answer around that. That's, that's, that's evolving, I think. Uh, it's interesting seeing Third Degree and how that's developing because week on week, um, uh, Duncan and Guy are getting increasingly pleased with themselves um, and, and it, it, it just makes me think God when they when they crash it's going to come really hard um, well, maybe they'll but, get together and you know everyone will be happy <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. question from the row behind and has anyone done that yeah okay so you that guy right down in the corner you're going to be next sorry microphone runner man okay so you with so, the microphone, sir. A, a popular tweet I picked up on um, comes from a New Zealand celebrity, remain nameless, uh, 35,136 followers. Uh, this tweet <laughs> had loads of engagement. And the tweet is Chur G, C H U R, Chur. Um, <laughs> Chur, <Chua>, bro. <laughs> Sorry, I've just spent 10 years in the UK. Uh, how, Churgy, uh, how is it? And uh, it sort of begs the question is, uh, let's be honest, there's a lot of crap out there. And either that or New Zealand are a, a nation of morons. We've become, uh, we're following, like what does that, what value does that add? Okay, so the question is, or two questions as a result of that, is where do we go to get the quality content? Because even using hashtags, it's actually really hard to to decipher the quality amongst the predominant nonsense. Um, And then secondly is how do brands and and companies either fund or create or do it themselves or outsource 
the quality content that involves copywriting, uh, journalism, photography, video, all of that stuff. We know it's not easy to create quality, but Churji, how's it, isn't really quality. And neither is Buy This Now or This Is A Great uh, News Story Tomorrow When We Know It's Not. So how do we, where do we go to get the quality content? and how do brands create that? Okay, I'll, I'll take the first half, while you guys think about the second half of the question, I'll take the first half of the question, which I think is more of a, um, just a Twitter in general question. Do you, do you follow that guy? Churji? Churji. Do you follow him? Do I follow him? No. Don't follow him. Yeah. So... 35,000, which is high. Yeah, it absolutely is. But I mean, the way, you know, I think the room will probably agree the way you get a quality experience in social media is to follow people that interest you, that amuse you, or, or whom you trust. And that, that's as simple as it is. The, sec- the second half, which is about, I guess, how do brands get that quality, or how do brands or editorial brands get yeah. that quality content onto social media? Is that your question? Yeah, how do they create it? Because it's either expensive. Not cheap quality. Well, yeah, so this is, this is, I guess this is probably a question I'd most like to hear from David. I, and I don't Hazel. quite get that. What do you mean? How do, how do you. Okay, traditionally with media, you would brief an agency, they would come up with a credit concept, or they'd have copywriters involved in creating the copy, visual people, and then you'd produce videos or photos or prints. Uh, with social media, that happens regularly. Mm. Okay, and we know that we click on visual content first and we copy. Some people do it the other way around, but research shows most people do So how do you actually create, if you're a brand, this is probably oh, more your sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I misunderstood the question, so it's more of a different thing. question. We don't need to rely on media anymore to reach our audiences. You know, through social media channels, everyone can be their own publisher. And companies are pretty skilled at creating really engaging, dynamic interfaces where the consumer has a direct inter- relationship with them. We don't need to go through the likes of the New Zealand Herald mm. and have them destroy our press releases. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Interesting choice of game. <laughs> but um, we don't need Can we put a bit of truth so. in there? Yeah. <laughs> quick response from either of you before we go to the next question. In, in terms right. of editorial content or... Any content. Any content. Well, in terms of editorial content, quality stuff, there's this website called ideologue.co.nz. <laughs> yeah. And there's this guy, Sim Ahmed, down here. Sim, wave at everyone. Wave, puppet, wave. He's our tech journo, and he creates some pretty good content. Uh, content, content aggregation is, is it's a huge thing, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to increase in value, and it's going to carry those values of trust as well. Um, and um, I, I think trust is going to be a value that people are going to place value on. It, it, you, you have a, you know, if you have a website or a technique or a device that's able to measure levels of trust that you should accord to different channels, there's going to be a real value in that. Yeah. Now I believe there's a microphone down in the back corner. Yes, sir. Howdy, Vaughan. Um, my point of view is somewhat different from what the panel's been addressing. Um, I understand that there's an issue around journalist trust, and I understand that there's an issue with risk in the product and endeavor side of things. But for me, the issue comes back to what the panel who discussed this issue at South by Southwest discussed, which was best practice really was if you did receive something for free and you're discussing it in a social media setting, just like you would with your friends in a conversation, you mentioned that you get it was free. So in my personal case, when I saw Vaughn tweet about it, I thought, oh, that's great. That sounds wonderful idea. That's awesome. But then I found out later that he got it for free. My trust in everything that Vaughn says from now on has been reduced by 1%. Had Vaughn simply said at the beginning, I got this for free, it's awesome, that would have been great. And I would have understood it. But now my question isn't to the panel, it's to Vaughn. How do I get my 1% trust back? Well, what it it depends. What has it gone down to? 33 and a half right now, man. 33 and a half. Yeah. I mean, on some of my early content, I did talk about how I was, I think I used the phrase beta eater, and I thought that was enough disclosure, but maybe it wasn't uh, obvious enough. But yeah, I I did point it out at the beginning. Um, I I thought, my my take on it was I, I trusted 
those people who follow me enough to get how this kind of stuff works. You know, PR stuff gets given out, we go to the movies, we go to theatre openings um, and all these things and we talk about them if they are good and I, I trusted the people who, who, who read that stuff that I write to understand that that was the context of it. So, but yeah, if, if that is your honest, honest feeling, maybe I've misjudged that. Expect that the Guardian Free Book, especially the Guardian Free Book, I did not expect a review of a food product on my back would be something free. Yep. Good I point. guess you should just constantly expect that the media is completely corrupt. Except me. I think that'd be a really good starting point. Yeah, and I guess one of the issues this raises is the overlap between media, media, and social media, and there are lots of that uh, apply to media and part of being media is knowing what those guidelines and codes of practice are. We as people who just happen to have a phone and an app, uh, we don't know what those guidelines and codes of practice are. So uh, I, I see a future where those, those, those codes of practice are, are meaningless, certainly at a user end. Uh, and you know, the, whole, the whole world's going to shift in that respect. Do we have another, we've got time for another couple of questions. Uh, where's the mic? Over there. Oh, I didn't quite make it. That's good. You're good too. You are also good. You're a valid human being and I respect your right to ask a question. Thank you. It was actually a comment in relation to the content question. Um, We have one of the world's um, leading social media brands in New Zealand. It's always winning awards. We've just arrived back from the UK, having been overseas for six years. If you guys want to see a corporate that's doing social media well, go check out Air New Zealand. Their content, most of their content is not created by Air New Zealand. It's created by their customer base. And if you're truly interested in how social media and content gets created, go and have a look at customer-created content. Because the merger between what the customers are saying and doing about your brand and their experiences of your business will actually drive the content, drive your social media campaigns, and also drive traffic to your website and show up in the ROI and the revenue. The other great brand to go have a look at if you've not had a look at it is Cadbury UK. They rule the UK as far as social media engagement with their customers and 90% of it is customer created. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be created by an agency. Get the customers to create it for you. It's one of the cheapest sources. Um, and just make sure you're listening to what the customers are saying because they're saying good stuff and bad stuff and how you treat the bad stuff is just as important as how you treat the good stuff. Absolutely. I'm going to take one last question from Anna with the hand up. Uh, but, and the, the reason I'm cutting it short is firstly because that's part of our commitment to you this year is to keep these things tight so you know what time you can get home. Uh, and secondly, so you've got time, flip side of that, to hang around for 20 minutes afterwards and have a beer if there are any left and speak to these guys personally. So last question. Um, I guess my question is for the panellists and potentially for the room to talk about afterwards. Do we just need to mature in terms of our expectations around this kind of thing? Because when I watched the reaction to my food bag, my thoughts were, why do you all think your social media feed is sacrosanct? It's not. I think that this has really highlighted a need for media literacy classes in high school in New Zealand. Because like um, the guy who looks like Shane Curry without my glasses on, <laughs> Sorry, it's like American shank Like you said, he expects that we got a, a, a book for free uh, if we write a review about it. Y- yes, you do. Or, or maybe you got to go to the movie for free if you did a review about it. I mean, this stuff is not new. It's, been, it's right through the media. It's been happening for a very long time. You know, if you look at beauty brands, you've got added value where they take out an ad for L'Oreal or whatever, and then you've got your product review that goes along with it. You know? It just, like I said, assume that the media is entirely corrupt, and that's a good starting point for being surprised. Okay, no, I don't last, last comment each, and then we'll wrap up. I, I think you raise an excellent point. This is a fast-evolving um, scenario. The landscape changes on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, and, um, and I think we're all learning a lot along the way. I think um, the big learning for me out of this, it's clarified a few boundaries, and if I'm going to tweet something that I've been given for free, I will probably comment that I've been asked to trial something and I love it, or what or the other. And I think, in, getting back to the Shane Curry doppelganger, um, the, that question of trust is all important, because if you betray the trust of your followers and your audience, 
then how do you win it back? It's, okay. it's always been a really basic rule for any communication that we've done with each other in whatever form it's taken, and that's openness and honesty. And as, as long as that underpins what you do, as long as you've got a way of accessing disclosures and you record disclosures, um, there's a lot of confusion that gets cleared out of the way before it even begins. Very good. I'd like uh, to thank our panellists, David, Deborah and Hazel, for joining us tonight. Um, and I think being instrumental in getting 200 of you uh, away from your, your kitchens and your food bags and, uh, and, and, and to, into Vodafone. Thank you very much. You, can, you might as well stay there, stay there for the 90 seconds we have left. Um, I'd just like to wrap up by thanking again our sponsors, uh, Vodafone, who I, I'm full disclosure, they gave us this um, menu, Contiki, who uh, gave us the pizza, and Treasury Wine Estate, who gave us the wine and beer. Well, that's it. Well, thanks, everybody, for, uh, for listening in. You can, of course, catch us on uh, online at nzdigitalpodcast.com. Uh, we would love it if you would uh, subscribe uh, to the podcast in, in iTunes and, uh, and review us there uh, or on any other uh, podcast uh, platforms that you, uh, uh, that you might use. Uh, and uh, we'd certainly like to be liked on, on Facebook and uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter at NZDIG uh, is our Twitter handle uh, and we'll catch you back soon with uh, with another episode of the New Zealand Digital Podcast. See ya.